Hello, welcome to Write, Speak, Play with host Nancy Arvizu. In today's episode, we continue following the story of Mary Elizabeth Pratt, who began sharing her story of what it's like to have her abuser in custody and being on trial. Uh, Her story continues with the trial of her abuser coming to a conclusion. This was a military man who abused girls as young as 10 years old for over a decade, and she just learned of his sentencing. So here's her story in her words. Um, So I originally came, so he called me in January of 2020. So I've been waiting since then, Um, but it got transferred to the trial lawyers in April of this year, April of 2021. Um, So about eight months. Um, And they, so finally in like October, um, they were like, all right, we're getting ready. We're gonna set a trial date. And that trial date was supposed to be in December. And he put in a plea agreement um, for review that would have been one to three years. And they said, absolutely not, because they were looking at 19 to 23 years is what their expert recommended. They have like an outside like civilian trial attorney that that comes in on cases like this to advise Um, and so for about six weeks, it looked like we were going to go to trial. I had my hotel, I had my flights, I had, you know, everything, you know, my leave at work ready to go. And they called me one day and said, they put in a a plea agreement for seven to nine years. And it looked like he was, uh, that they were going to take it, that the lawyers were going to accept that, which was really upsetting because I was told 19 to 23 years, not seven to nine. Um, so on December 2nd, we, uh, it was a, I didn't go, um, they didn't, the Marine Corps did not pay me to go out. I was not considered a victim and I was not allowed to speak. Um, so I just listened and he got eight years, um, dishonorable discharge, um, eight years, dishonorable discharge, demotion to E1, loss of all pay, um, and allowances and uh, a dis- a dishonorable discharge. I said that, sorry. Um, and then they had him speak. They let him say, like, if he wanted to say something. So he said that his dad had killed himself year to day to the day that they found out um, that he had been accused of, accused is a funny word, but accused of it. Um, And he acknowledged that that was likely his fault as the oldest son. Then they, um, he apologized to the Marine Corps and said, you know, that he was sorry that the, you know, he had done this to the Marine Corps and like tarnished the Marine Corps name. And then he said that he was happy that his wife had stayed with him and that they had grown closer through it all. And that that gave him hope for their future together. But he never once said that he was sorry to the victims who range in age from I'm 27 now to the youngest girl was 10 years old when it happened. He didn't even acknowledge us. Did the court pick up on that at all? 
I didn't get to hear the what happened after that. Um, I I got there were like certain things I couldn't listen to. Um, and that was one of the things I couldn't listen to. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Um, I know the lawyer immediately picked up on it because she was um, I was communicating with her throughout the whole time because I couldn't listen to some of it. And she I know that she picked up on it. So it it was not lost on on the courtroom, at least. Amazing. So how are you doing since then? Well, where do we start with that? How do you, how, how are you feeling about that? Angry, yeah. very, very angry that somebody gets to, I mean, eight years is not nothing. Don't get me wrong. He's already 41 years old. He'll get out. He'll be almost 50 and there's no good time in the military. So you, you get eight years, you do eight years um, minus the time he'd already been confined. So do about seven and a half years because he was in pretrial confinement um but he um i'm just angry that you know like i can't even get acknowledged of what he did to me like it's okay to do that to somebody but you can't even you know like hey, i'm sorry that was probably a bad idea on my part um so that, that nothing therapy can't fix but it it doesn't help. So are they going to let you tell your story then? I mean, do you get the opportunity to write about it in any way or I mean, uh, I can do whatever I want as a civilian. Um, I can talk to whoever I want. I can do whatever I want. Um, but as far as the court goes, the case is over. That's, that's it. It's done. That's the end of it. Man, that is. And the only reason I wasn't considered a victim is because the laws in 2010 in in the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, did not include cell phone pictures, like using a cell phone to produce child pornography. They, it just didn't matter. It, it wasn't included. So they can't say, oh, well, it, they said it wasn't a law then. It wasn't a law until like 2015. I was an adult in 2015. I graduated college in 2015. And so that's, it's just not, I wasn't considered a victim, so I didn't get to speak. And basically they were, and, and never did they, never did the lawyer I had like hold this over my head, but essentially the way I was treated was, we're doing this as a favor to you to even let you participate in any of this. At what point in the trial and all of the investigation did you figure that out or were you told that you weren't gonna to get to speak? Not until uh, the day before it happened, December 1st. Wow. I got that flipped the text message. Um, in a text in the message. Yeah, in a text message. And it, the, I do not want to fight. I do not want to fault the lawyer that texted me because I think she was in a meeting when it when she was texting me. So she told me as soon as she knew. Um, but it's it 
it was frustrating. Um, she said um, some stuff about the judge. With that being said, I'm getting pushback with getting your ability to speak. I'm doing my best, but I might get overruled since I'm not the most senior attorney on the case. I have meetings all morning, but it, you, you can call me if you need me later this afternoon. And I said, okay, just let me know. I'll plan on not participating. Wow. And that was it. So that's 20 something days ago. Yeah, yeah, about three weeks now, yeah. So how are you doing today? Today's a good day. Um, I took a lovely nap, so I was late for our meeting. Um, I, work has been keeping me busy today, so it's, it's mainly like how much time I have to sit and think about it. The more I sit and think about it, the angrier I get. But it's, it's just so frustrating that he didn't get as even as much time as his oldest victim or his youngest victim was old and apparently the the there were three child victims and their parents got the say on whether or not they took the plea agreement and they didn't want to take their kids to trial which i understand and i'm not a parent and i cannot imagine making that decision um but they accepted the seven to nine year plea agreement, which, which I, I get not wanting your kids to testify in a court martial, especially your 10, 11 year old. I get it. And like I said, I'm not a parent. There's probably nuance there. I will never understand as long as I'm not a parent, but it, they weren't the only people. And I, bent over backwards worrying about them and they couldn't give a shit about me and that hurt that hurt pretty bad um because one of the things they did give me the option to do was write a letter to the other victims and after that i decided not to do it because um I was already at a loss of what you say to people when it's your fault. Like, had you just come forward sooner, that wouldn't have happened to them. Like, what you know, we it's victim blaming. It's not healthy. Working on that in therapy, but that's that's the way I see it right now. Um, and it it felt like a betrayal to people that I had put so much stock into in my thoughts and actions to not even be considered of theirs. But so it goes. There's so many questions I would have, to, you know, <clears throat> to those parents as well. That's, and to those other children, hopefully they have, how young are they still? Um, so originally they were 10, 13 and 14 or something to that general. I know the youngest was 10 at the time that I came forward. And then the other ones were like very young, like, like 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. So by now she's 13, 14, how old now? 
Uh, she depending on when her birthday would be, she'd be eleven or twelve. Oh, so not that okay. So still that young. Okay, I was thinking maybe it's a teenager. Yeah, that's you gotta wonder how are they directed by council? How are they? You know, gosh, that is such a yeah. But to not think about what all the, were there other ones victims that were not also not included like you? No, because the only other adult that they found um actually closed the door in the face of an ncis agent because you you don't have to talk to them as a victim there's nothing beholden you to talking to you know a cop if you didn't commit a crime like if you're the victim of a crime you don't have to talk to the cops um and they showed up at her door said we'd like to talk to you and she said don't ever contact me again and closed the door in her face Wow. Was she older or younger than you? I I don't know exactly, but from the conversation I had with the investigator at the time, we were about the same age. Okay. So with I, I took that to mean within a year, um, a year either way. So at the time I was 20, I had just turned 26 or no, sorry, I had just turned 25. So she was somewhere between 24 and 26, somewhere in there. And then that's all you know about it. Not like how long it went on or. Well, she wouldn't talk to them. So, yeah, so. They, they didn't even know. Wow. And that's not to say there aren't other adult victims that Don't didn't know. know, didn't come forward. Because the only reason I knew is he called me and told me he was under investigation. Like he wanted pity from me or something, but had he never called me, I never would have known. You don't think they would have found you? Like the NCIS wouldn't have found you? I don't know because they would have had to find, so the reason they found the other, so the, the first girl, her parents found out and came forward. I know that as a fact. The second girl was her friend who I guess also came forward and said, I've been talking to the same guy because he was posing as like a, like a teenage boy, I right. think. Right. But I knew him as like his, his age and his occupation and himself. I knew him as at least part of himself. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was married. I didn't know he had a kid. I didn't know any of that. Um, but it's it it's just frustrating. I don't know. It's yeah. You have we to didn't know that those girls were that young. Yeah, that just yeah. Like just think about you know everybody's got a a kid you know a young teenager late preteen early teenager in their life and that's. That's just, can you imagine? They're still playing with dolls. To be preyed on like that. By a 40 year old man. Yeah, to be preyed on like that for so long too. And then he gets away with it like that. And someone that's supposed to be respected in the community, you know, as a, as a Marine uh, gunnery sergeant you're supposed to be setting an example. He was teaching at a school, not, not a, like a Marine Corps school. Um, 
so he was supposed to be setting an example and all he was doing was lying to everyone and hiding creating and sending child pornography abusing his power I, I don't know if I would call it abusing his power because none of them were children that were like he had any direct contact with. It was all through the internet. It's still a mind and game. He, it's still a mind game. That's... Oh, absolutely. It's it's a total, it's manipulation at its absolute, you know, like if manipulation had Olympics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if manipulation had Olympics, he'd win the gold medal 10 years in a row. Yeah. Psychopathic behavior. Oh yeah. Absolutely. That, that little taste of power. Wow. That just. Okay. And the nice thing is, is I don't have to be scared to open my door for the next eight years. The problem is in eight years, I'm going to have to be scared to open my door again, but luckily he'll be on the federal, um, federal registry of sex offenders so it'll be very easy to track his movements and hopefully by then it's even more um well defined than it is now um you know hopefully they because it really the sex offender registry hasn't like it's even the websites haven't really changed in probably the last 10 years it's put in your yeah it's put in a name or zip code or address and it'll tell you how many sex, it'll tell you where that sex offender is or um, how many sex offenders you have living in your neighborhood, where they live and where they work. Um, but I don't know what the future of that might look like. I can't even fathom it. Um, but hopefully, you know, it's even more robust than it is now. And, and he'll be on it for the rest of his life. And that affects if he wants, if his wife wants to stay with them, which like, I don't know if she's been abused. I don't want to pass judgment because if she has been abused, then, then it's not my place to ever say, why would you stay with your husband? Cause why did I stay with my abuser for 10 years? But come on, man, he's a sex offender. <laughs> Yeah, now convicted and going to prison and going to be away. And, you know, what has he already taken from her? And now she wants to give up that too. That's, yeah, that's, again, that's some mind control. That's some power, power over something oh. there. Yeah. And I'm, sh- I'm absolutely sure of it, that there is some sort of power imbalance oh, yeah. there. Obviously. Wow. Well, I hope you start writing about this. Um, your story deserves to be told and it needs to be told, especially to, you know, let victims know that if they want justice, they're going to have to come forward. Unfortunately, you know, they're going to have to be their own advocate and take that first step of coming forward. And it's, it's a system that is completely broken because I was sexually assaulted as an adult and I got told by a prosecutor's office that they would not be pressing charges because he had a PhD and he was a nice guy and it would ruin his reputation. So sometimes it's not even about being your own advocate. It's about luck that somebody else cares enough. And it it's awful. The system is awful right now. Like I just got lucky that mil- the military does not take that lightly. Like they, they, if you look at the records of court marshals, which are all online for all of the branches, um, 
the amount of child porn and revenge porn in in sexual assault in the military is astronomical. And not even military member to military member, military member to civilian. And and sometimes we'll we'll read it and we'll laugh about it because somebody will get caught with, you know, pounds and pounds of mushrooms or, you know, grams and grams of ecstasy and we'll we'll laugh and we'll make fun of them. But the the sexual assault ones are just insane. And they have so little detail. You have to fill in your own, you know, story around it because it's just like so-and-so got or usually they're in the Coast Guard, at least their name redacted. It'll say something along the lines of um, an E5 was um, convicted at court-martial of sexual assault, you know, like in the laundry list of charges they have. And and that's all the information that they put out there. But they do put it out there for all the branches. And the Coast Guard is called the Good Order and Discipline. And what happens when they leave the military? Do those records follow them into civilian life? Yes. So if you're convicted of a felony and dis- so a dishonorable discharge in the military is the equivalent of a felony. Okay. Um, so you have to divulge that to employers as if you had a felony. If you're convicted of a sex crime and put on the sex offender registry, you that you are, it's considered a federal crime. So you are on the sex offender registry. You do have to register when you move. Um but he went to a prison that has um, a sex offender treatment program that, and he said that he had requested to go to that one for that reason. Um, But I don't, I, I don't think sex offenders can be rehabilitated. He got to choose which prison he got to go to. He got to request to go to one with this particular treatment program. Wow. Which I don't have a problem with because if he wants to go through sex offender treatment, like good. But I think that you can you can maybe keep sex offenders from some level of reoffending, but I do not think that you can keep sex offenders like that. You you cannot keep child People that look at child porn, people that create child porn, you cannot rehabilitate them. I mean, think about in the book Lolita. They have to end up killing. I'm not going to kill anyone. I just want to state that for the record. But, But, you know, that's how the book ends. And for people who haven't listened to it, there's a fantastic podcast called Lolita by... uh, a fantastic podcaster called Jamie Loftus or named Jamie Loftus. Um, and it was, I want to say it was like an eight or 10 part series. She did breaking down the book of Lolita, the people that read it, people that were in situations like me where they were called Lolita by their abusers, things like that. It's, it's a really great podcast diving into like how problematic the book is. Interesting. Well, I will to send me a link on that yeah absolutely i can do that but yeah so that's where we're at right now maybe in six months i'll be squeaky clean and brand new and not angry anymore but i doubt it yeah the anger part that's going to take a while but you have a good therapist that you're seeing you're in all the programs that you can you're doing all the steps you're 
Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing all the things for yeah. lack of a better term, like all the things you're supposed to be doing. I see a psychiatrist. I see a therapist. Um, I'm getting ready to start ketamine treatments, which are um, I don't even want to call them experimental anymore because they've been clinically proven. Um, just the FDA still considers psychedelics to be a problem, but you can get it above board at clinics. Um, and it can help with chronic pain, which I have from the military, as well as trauma, depression, um, some other psychiatric disorders in that family. Um, but we'll see. I'm very interested in hearing how that goes. Maybe we can have a very happy conversation about how ketamine treatment goes. Cause I had it once for pain. And for like a week afterwards, it was the least oppression I've had in my adult life. It was amazing. Yeah, that's, those kinds of treatments are very interesting. And I'm so happy that, you know, our, our, our science is expanding and able to do things like that. I mean, just think of all the healing that it could create in this crazy damaged world. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where things like psychedelic mushrooms, MDMA, um, ketamine, like things of the LSD, mm -hmm. um, see where they go because they're in actual clinical trials right now. Um, the FDA has provided some relief to the drug schedule because technically you're not even supposed to use schedule one drugs as any sort of therapeutic value, but I could see in the next five to 10 years that it'll become a much more common treatment because in a, in a controlled setting. So like in ketamine treatments, it's a controlled setting, medical doses, there's medical providers on staff, um, that it, it's a very healing medicine. So maybe next time we'll talk about that. <laughs> This talk with Mary Elizabeth brought up a lot of things for me. First, men getting away with damaging children, people, women, girls. How important our stories and words are to someone who might need to hear them. And there is someone out there who needs to hear them. And that we need to pay attention to our children. We need to listen to them and we need to teach them the words they need to know so they will be heard when they need to be heard. Thank you for listening to Write, Speak, Play with host Nancy Arvizu. Thank you for listening. This has been Write, Speak, Play with your host, Nancy Arvizu.